0: Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together, and we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Good morning. My name is Leslie Padrick. I live in Los Angeles, but I've connected with The Vine online through worship on Sundays and in small groups. Our scripture reading from today is from Isaiah 58 6 through 12, the NIV version. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land, and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Is it just me, or does it feel like over the last couple of weeks, someone went over to the thermostat in our culture and kind of cranked up the heat a little bit? I mean, conflict and tension seems to be more at the surface, and what makes matters worse is... We're living in like this perfect storm for antagonisms really to flourish. I mean, just think about all the factors that are coming together at the same time. We have now spent over three months in quarantine where we're practicing social distancing. That means that we're not seeing people face to face as much. And in its place, what what are we probably doing? We're sitting in our echo chambers of our social media and our preferred news outlets receiving messages over and over again. And all while that's happening, there's also <clears throat> economic failure. There is uh, unemployment that's going through the roof. There's a global pandemic. <laughs> Let's not forget about that. You know, And uh, now we've been experiencing civil uh, and racial unrest. And all of this is underneath the backdrop of an election year, which has a tendency to make matters more conflicted. So what I hope and I pray for, for the church, and especially for our church, is that we are finding a different way to live together. That we aren't uh, following suit with the way this world is, where we quickly put people in categories of us and them, where we like scan people, scan uh, who they are, and, and try to figure out what box to put them in. Hope we don't fall prey to a cancel culture type of environment where if someone messes up, someone says the wrong thing, we write them off and we move away. We must discover a different way. We must learn how to give grace where we mess up and remember that our shared mission brings us together as we seek unity, unity that goes deeper than splintering off into smaller groups of sameness. Can we learn to give that kind of grace uh, to one another? To go to one another when we have been offended, when we have experienced something that just kind of bugs us, to actually talk to them and seek reconciliation. I mean, that's the kind of church I know we want to be. So there's, there's a different, deeper version of unity that I am personally praying for for our church. It's not unity built on sameness making sure that all of our theology and our ballots and our opinions are perfectly lining up with each other. I'm praying for unity that is expressed in mutual uh, love, forgiveness, deference, in the midst of our differences. This requires grace, and so I'm going to ask grace from you, and I'm going to seek to do the same, and I want to encourage Uh, to actually press in together, especially in times like this. And I hope that we can do that. And what I've wondered lately is if the church, if our church, has the spiritual tools and the stamina to bear witness to Jesus and Jesus' kingdom in a moment like this. And especially I've been thinking about this moment that we have around uh, racism in America. So that's what we've been talking about last week and this week, Is how we communities like the Vine can engage in this moment, and you know it's been sad. I've been thinking about how it's it's sad that it's taking uh, the recent deaths of these Black individuals and the cries of the Black community for us to finally enter into this dialogue. You know that's something I lament. But regardless, here we are, and I want to seek to grow and for us to to follow Jesus in this moment. So last week. I made an invitation for our community for us to, to journey together towards racial righteousness. I had a couple people ask me why racial righteousness. It seems like the term that people are, are using is racial reconciliation. But in listening to some black pastors and theologians, they have really pushed back on that idea of reconciliation. Because what reconciliation means, it means being reconciled, like going back to a time when things were unified and equitable. You know, even the word reconciliation means conciliatory, when things were equitable, conciliatory. And their point is, there's no time in America's history when there was true uh, uh, equity there. It's, it's, <laughs> there's been uh, a disproportionate amount of, uh, uh, of power and of privilege that has not been afforded to the black community. And so a term like reconciliation is not, it's not adequate. We need, there's nothing in the past that we need to go back to. It's something we're going to have to discover in the future. And so I have heard people use the, the term racial righteousness. And righteousness sounds like a churchy word. All it means is rightness, to make things right, to bring about what is right to God, in our world. So that is what we're on. We're on a journey towards what we hope that uh, can be a part of a journey towards racial righteousness. And so uh, hopefully we are going to be a community that's going to seek to make things right uh, with, uh, with the mind of Christ together. And that, that is done in four different steps. Awareness, lament, submission, and action. Uh, last week we talked about awareness and lament, and this week we're going to talk about those last two steps submission and action. I know this word makes us cringe, so why add a uh, challenging word to an already difficult conversation? Well, I've been thinking through other possibilities, but this is the word that for me rings the most true. And I get why we don't like it, because we have seen how this idea of submission has been used and abused, even by the church, to oppress uh, slaves, women, and children. But uh, to submit doesn't always make, mean to be dominated, doesn't always point to oppression. Submission also means uh, being made humble, being found as meek. So this word from the Latin roots breaks down like this. Missio means center or go, and sub means under or down. So when we submit, it actually means that we go or move under. This idea of submission, of choosing to be made low, is so countercultural because our preference, our desire, is to move up. It's to be raised up, not going down. And our view of success is winning, which means there's probably people who are going to lose. Now, what's toxic about this is our desire for success. Not only is this just desire to triumphantly, to be raised above others, but there's this temptation with that sense of pride to use people below us. And the way of Jesus is going the other direction. I believe it's Henry Nouwen who said, a life with Jesus is a life of downward mobility. This is a, a, a journey downward mobility whereby we learn the surprising yet abundant life that's found in humility, meekness, and yes, submission. So for us to continue in this journey, of racial righteousness, we must learn the foundational posture of submission. And the first stop in this journey is to submit to Jesus. How often do we think of submitting to Jesus? My guess is not that often. Instead, we have had created this idea of what Jesus provides for me, that Jesus is here to give me eternal life and joy and peace. But when we have crafted that idea of that's, our, that's our, our relationship with Jesus, that's the purpose of Jesus coming here, the only purpose, we have muted Jesus' invitation, much like this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. This does not sound like triumphant success, but submission. So I find this fascinating. A theologian by the name of Klein Snodgrass and yes, that's a perfect name for a theologian. Klein Snodgrass, he, he was interested um, in hearing how the church was talking about our relationship with Jesus. And he noticed that we much, uh, much of our conversations was talking about how Jesus is in me, in, in my heart, I asked Jesus into our home. And he was curious around that language and he was thinking, I'm, I'm going to look at the books of of the New Testament that come after the time of Jesus to see how the Bible most commonly speaks of our relationship with Christ. And what he found was this, that the phrase of Christ being in us or in me was only found five places. Five places. Which is incredibly rare. And instead, he was also looking at, all right, how many times is our relationship with Christ where it's described in the New Testament as us now being found in Christ. So rather than Christ being in me, how often is it found where we're now found in Christ? And instead of five times, he found that that phrase was used 164 times. 164 times. Now the implications of what he was trying to get after is that a life with Jesus is not one where we now have Jesus as a part of us. But now we are a part of Jesus. Our old life is now submitted underneath this new identity, this new life that we have in Christ. Like every identity, every sense of personhood and entitlement, everything that we developed in that old self is now put under uh, a life with Christ. And therefore, we are called now to conform to Christ this truer identity of who we are. We're called to put on Jesus's priorities, to seek to, to, to seek to see people as Jesus saw them, to treat people as Jesus treated them. That this is our new and truer identity. And this is especially the case. We should should we must submit uh, every identity that was formed in a, in a society of hierarchy. One that was built on domination and not submission. We must look for those identities especially and move them underneath the way of a life with Jesus. So as we discover a life now in Christ, we are called to conform to Christ. To pursue justice, mercy, and love as Christ did. Now, something surprising happens when we begin to do that. As we submit ourselves to Christ, as we're now found in Christ, uh, we discover this new identity. We realize that our life with Jesus is not just this personal salvation project between me and God where I'm made right with God. What, What we also realize is that this calls us to be made right with others who are also found in Christ our identities now they are intertwined because we are now the body of christ we're now one in christ so how i treat my brother and sister matters greatly to jesus because we are called to be one and paul he even wrote this to the church in ephesus he wrote for jesus himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus made this possible, but then he also asks us to step into the same type of living. We are called then to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I believe this kind of submission will be incredibly healing because what has been normal is when uh, white communities and black communities interact at that there's been this fallacy of of privilege and power that is just given to white communities. And when we choose to willfully submit, we are pointing out the myth and the fallacy that that is. And what what we are doing then too, is we are honoring our brothers and sisters and pointing out the blindness that has been used to exploit them. Uh, It means that we are willfully submitting to our, the communities uh, of color, our, our brothers and sisters of color, whom our society has demanded submission from. Now, though historically these voices, the voices of uh, the black community and other minority groups, often have been marginalized. We should remember how often God comes to us through the voices of the margin. Over and over again, God spoke through the unexpected And who doesn't want to hear from God today? Perhaps where the voice of God is most waiting for us is from communities that have been marginalized. So therefore, we learn this posture of submission. We practice hearing. We practice honoring so that we can be taught to step into this final fourth step, which is action. So this is our hope, is that through the process that we've walked through, through awareness and lament and submission, that we are better prepared. We have had a transformative experience where we are better prepared to step into action, whereby hopefully we faithfully can bring about meaningful change. But we need to be honest that there are barriers we must address. So let me share something I've been I've been trying to process. And and this is one of those things I'm gonna have to ask for grace uh, because I'm still in process. I just I just want to share this um, I'm experiencing a little bit of tension and sensing this tension within our community that this conversation even feels political. <laughs> like for us to spend two weeks talking about racial uh, reconciliation, ra- racial righteousness um, feels political. Uh, seeing people from our community who are marching with sol- in solidarity with our black community this past week, it feels political and I've been I've been processing that, and um, and I know the danger and the contention that exists when churches and pastors appear political. I know that well. I have you know perhaps stepped over that line even recently, um, and I know this desire that you know we should stay in our lane, preach the gospel, and steer from politics. But this is what I've been wrestling with, and I was reminded of this um this past week, and even just. Listening to another pastor process this as well. And the question is, like, when did racial healing and justice become a political thing? You know, because it's not always been that way. When you think about uh, the civil rights movement, you think like that movement by and large was led by the church, by the church. Even Martin Luther King Jr., when you study what he wrote, and he would often push back from reporters and how people described him. He would say, well, well first and foremost, I'm a, I'm a preacher. Because for him, like that's like his role as a preacher was to enter into these conversations, to be active in these conversations. And that, that, was, that was their idea of what the church's role was. And I believe that it, that's one of the greatest witnesses that our country has ever seen from the church, is what we've seen in the civil rights movement—the sense of unity among among diversity. Yet somehow, for church today, this conversation has been pushed from the church into the realm of politics, where we don't belong. Like the gospel, you know, is here, and this movement's now over there. Now, the problem with this for me is that this doesn't doesn't only hinder the church's participation. It doesn't only hinder the church's voice in the midst of this moment, but it also creates a void. And just the way with life is, anytime there's a void, things fill that void. And so where the church used to be active, where we used to be have a voice, now there is thoughts, actions, ideology that we disagree with, that I disagree with personally. And So it's so easy now that we've been sidelines to watch what's happening, to hear messages, to hear policies, and just lob grenades over where we used to be, where we used to have voice. But now it's from the sidelines from these type of movements where we have stepped away and we expect for them to still align with the Christian ideology. I mean, it just makes no sense to me. I believe that Jesus is asking for us to to not step away from the tension, but step into the the tension. Even though we might not agree with every facet of what that movement is about, for us to actually step in in smaller and bigger ways to actually rediscover the role of the church in making things right. And to be honest, where I feel like this is so indicting is that there are other there's other things that our church is so concerned with that could be seen as equally as political. You know, our care for the homeless community. Not only do we want to provide for them food and, 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 and shelter, but we want to create policies by which they can be provided for that, like, you know, we can we can help fund ways and, and resources for them to get off, uh, off the street and on their feet. Is that political? No, of course not. But what about, you know, rescuing... Uh, victims of sex trafficking. like how we our church is actively involved in pushing that away, seeking to, to fund and source ways that that would end that that would leave our society. Is that political? Of course not. That's gospel, right? So when we hear from millions of black people within America, their cries for equity and justice, how can we make that about politics? and push that aside i mean we we just need to ask questions about that because if we allow the issue of racism to exist outside the gospel it will be a tragedy we cannot be silent and inactive in this matter because after after a journey of awareness and lament and even submission if we stop there if we don't actually move into this most challenging part which is action we will just end up being well-informed and apathetic moderates, and I know that's a hard word. But I'm, I mean, this is me too, and I even I, I thought about a, a, a looked up a quote from Martin Luther King that was said fifty-seven years ago. This is what he said: "I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in the, his stride towards freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate." who is more devoted to order than to justice who prefers a negative peace which is the absence of tension to a positive peace which is the presence of justice so king is telling us we don't seek negative peace which is which is the absence of tension instead go go to something better go to something deeper which is true peace and that's the presence of justice I remember remember King, he described, what is justice? Justice is love made public. That's what justice is. It is love made public. And if we take our scripture reading seriously, if we take the word of God seriously, this is the harsh word we have from our scripture, is that worship without justice means nothing to God. That God wants a heart of worship demonstrated by a, a love of justice where yokes are broken, where hungry are fed, where chains are broken and destroyed, that this is what it means to worship Jesus. So we must act. We must not stall out here. We must act. So what are we called to do? I mean, this is the question, right? What are we called to do? I hesitate to give too much instruction because I think God actually loves for us to prayerfully go to him. Go, God, I, I want you to teach me what is, what is my role in this uh, so I think we all should do that. But I just want to share some categories for us to step into action. Very short. We speak out. We must speak out in small ways and large ways when we see racism at work. That means in our relationships, uh, we must bring about hard conversations when they need to happen. I know it's so challenging. But we also need to speak out in our society when we see uh, systems of injustice at work. You know, we, we have to fight the temptation to be stifled into silence. You know, I I think so many times we are so worried about saying the wrong thing, saying something silly, or waiting until we have a perfectly formed opinion. I think we need to remember that the worst thing that we could say is nothing. Silence has been deafening to the black community for too long. Therefore, when we see racism and discrimination reveal itself, we are are called to use our God-given voice to enter into the prophetic tradition that spoke truth to power and truth to injustice. And as we do that, to also use our voice to join the communities of color uh, with cries for justice and to mourn with those who mourn. Another step is to foster friendship. You know, a core belief of our church, something that we hold dear, is that we believe that God does some of his best work in the context of relationships. We also believe that we are called to follow Jesus in significant friendships. What a great way for us to enter into this journey is to seek to foster friendships across ethnic and racial lines. What's been proven true in sociology, they call it contact theory, is that um, people, if they have meaningful contact over an extended period of time, that relationships improve and perspectives radically change. So these type of friendships are not a quick fix, and they're not sufficient in itself, but they they matter. So without tokenizing people, we foster these type of relationships, believing in God's transforming power that will enter into our lives through them. And what we might discover as we are walking with people, as we're hearing their stories, we might discover how to support, encourage, and love our friends of color in their own journey. And you know, this it's more than just about a relationship with the black community. We can ex- extend and foster friendship with whomever we might feel like the other is in our life. Because what I what I've come to believe is that the space between us and the other is sacred ground. And finally, we're called to confront the system. So this is the most challenging part because we're in a church tradition that usually focuses on how uh, people can be transformed, or maybe homes, how homes can be transformed. But we also should start considering uh, a larger focus on what are the systems at work in our society that continue to hinder the flourishing of people who have been oppressed. Or even flip it on the positive way, what are systems that could be enacted that could help support, encourage, and empower people who have not traditionally been empowered. You know, it's, we, we've had this wound in our country for 401 years. We should not expect a quick fix. What we sh- should expect, though, is that the incarnate Christ, the living Christ, is with us, and he wants, he wants our communities to reflect his coming kingdom. You know, like we pray in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, in Austin as it is in heaven. That should be our hope and our prayer. So we should look at ways in which we can create that sense of reflection of Christ's kingdom here and now. Even as Martin Luther King Jr. described, we should seek to create a beloved, the beloved community. And that's, for him, the community that's not marked by racism, classism, and violence. And in its place, mutuality and radical love. So ultimately, that's what we are called to do. We're called to look for where the incarnate Christ is at work in our society. And we should do what we always do with great courage and a radical willingness to follow Jesus wherever Jesus leads us at whatever cost that Christ calls us to give. That is the work of racial righteousness. And my prayer is that as we follow Jesus in this way, we will see Isaiah's words come true, that God's light will break forth like a dawn. And our healing will quickly appear. Then our righteousness will go before us and the glory of the Lord will be our rear guard. Then we will call and the Lord will answer. We will cry for help and he will say, here I am. May it be so for us. I wanted to just say a prayer for our church in this time. This prayer is from St. Francis, but it just feels so timely for us. So let's pray together. Lord, make us an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. To close our time, I wanted to share a song that has just ministered to me over this last week. Uh, And may we hear this song and may we worship and pray as it leads us to do so.
2: There's a sickness here that threatens to divide us And we're all afraid to say its name out loud Lord, I know that you can heal us of this virus and So we need you, we need you right now And there's a darkness here that's dangerous and aggressive And it gets harder every day to shake its power But, Lord, I know that you can free us from oppression. So we need you. We need you right now. Because we don't know what to do. So we turn our eyes to you. And we've run out of words to say. But if you come and have your way can save us from ourselves before our wounds hurt someone else we need you now what does it mean to have compassion for another how can I claim the love of God that I can't see if I can find the will to harm and kill my brother because he neglected to look like me and I can speak the words of men in songs of angels. I can give all my possessions to the poor. But if your love can't move the mountain of my hatred, somehow i missed you. And I need you so much more. Because I don't know what to do. So I'll turn my eyes to you. And I've run out of words to. Can come and have your way, and you can save me from myself before my wounds hurt someone else I need. yeah You'll never be healed. If you don't deliver us, we'll never be free. And if you don't change us, we'll never be better. So we need you now. We need